Good morning, everyone. So glad to be here again with you on another beautiful Sunday morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Stephen Atherton. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. So excited to continue on in our series in Luke that we've been going through the last few months. And if you didn't notice, this is a pretty big chunk of it. This is a pretty good-sized passage, and I'm so excited to be able to, to get into it. So I've done a lot of jobs in my life, and I mean like I've done a lot of different jobs. And in every job that I've done, one thing rings true with each and every one of them, and that is that there is some sort of on-the-job training, OJT. Every one of them was required to have some kind of training before you could accomplish the tasks that you needed to do. You had to be trained up to know how to do the mission and what the mission even was for that specific company. And not only that, you need to know who you're doing it for. What's the purpose? So one of these jobs stands out in my mind more than others, and that's when I worked in the oil field. Yes, I did work in the oil field at one point. When I first got there, my very first day, they sit me down in front of a computer and they say, okay, here's about six hours worth of oil field training, ready, go. And so I'm sitting here trying to get all of my work done on the computer and they're like, okay, now we're gonna go onto the field and they give me this little green helmet. I don't know if you've seen the guys out there with their little green helmets. That means stay away from that specific person. It means they have no idea what they're doing and they will probably blow you up. So that, I was that guy. And so I'm out there wearing my little green helmet. Everyone's making fun of me, like, oh, look at the new guy. And they're like, here, so here's a wellhead, and you have to turn this and do this and release gases this way. Oh, and here's a little monitor. And by the way, if you come across H2S, which is a gas, you're probably going to die. So just so you know, if that goes off, you're probably going to die. And it, there was so much for me to know in the oil field, so much. And in all of this OJT and all this training, there's one thing that made the most impact. And that was the why behind it all. Why am I learning this? Why am I doing this job? What's the mission? And who am I doing it for? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting a paycheck, but outside of that, what's the purpose? In this case, for my specific job, it was to automate, it was to basically put computer systems on the wellheads so that they would operate by themselves. And then the oil would go from the ground through the wellhead into the tanks. And then from that, the oil goes and gets refined. And then from there, the oil goes out all over the world and is currently in your car. So there's a much bigger picture for this training that I was doing than just me being the guy with the green helmet standing out there in the middle of a field. Understanding the mission changes the trajectory of thought process about what we're doing. The why behind the training. It gives us an understanding of the mission and who this mission is for. So this morning we're going to see this played out in these verses in Luke that we get to walk through. And we're going to see three main things emerge. And that is the mission which is in verses 9, 1 through 6. The meal, which is in 9, 10 through 17. And the monarch, or the king, in 9, 7 through 9. And also 9, 18 through 20. We're going to be cutting it up a little bit. So again, the mission, which is in 9, 1 through 6. The meal in 9, 10 through 17. And the monarch in 9, 7 through 9 through 9, 18 and 20. At the end of these verses, we're going to be able to see what the true mission should be in our lives. 
who we're doing it for and why. Helping us answer the question, are we living out what we've been trained and called to do for the one who's called us to do it? We've been given the training. We've been given the OJT through God's word. Now, what is the mission? Who is it for? And are we living it out? Let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, I just want to thank you so much for another beautiful day. God, thank you for the breath in our lungs. Thank you for the ability we have to even be here to gather together to worship you. God, I pray as we go through this text this morning that you would help remind each and every one of us of the true mission and of the reason that we do it, of who you truly are, God. I pray that we would leave here knowing you better and desiring to go out into this world sharing who you truly are. Love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we talked about last week, the entirety of Luke chapter 8 was focused on one key element, and that being authority. This was Jesus' authority over everything. In the first part of the chapter, it was a look at his full authority over nature and demons, taking us into last week's verses, which was a dive into his full authority over sickness and death. So immediately on the heels of this picture, Luke painted for us in eight, we're thrust back into the account of the 12 disciples that have been following Jesus through his ministry so far. With the first two verses not only incorporating the entirety of chapter eight, but also helping remind us of what Jesus is doing in this ministry. Verse one, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So again, right before these verses we're, we're talking about today, we see an evident picture of Jesus' authority over all creation. And I think this is important because only the one who has authority over all things has the right to give authority over anything. So Jesus gathers the 12 together, and after explicitly showing who he is through his ministry thus far, tells them that they now too, because of his authority and power, are able to heal and cast out demons. So this yes is a look at what Jesus is allowing the disciples to do, sending them in this ministry moving forward, but it gives us the reason. Jesus could have just said, I give you authority, heal and cast out demons. But instead he says, I give you authority, go out. Go out and proclaim the kingdom of God that has come. Or in other words, proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the good news. But don't just do, don't just proclaim the good news. Show signs and wonders that the kingdom is here. Showing the heart of the king, which is not to conquer, but loving his people so much, healing spiritually and physically, showing his authority. So even with the disciples' new authority, it's still the authority of Christ they're sent out in. So the mission is clear here. But how should this mission be accomplished? The end of verse 3. 
And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there, depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So there's several things happening in these verses. As Jesus is sending out the 12, he's having them do three different things. He's having them trusting, staying, and exiting. Trusting, staying, and exiting. He's having them trust that all that they need will be provided for them. He's literally saying in this passage to take what you have on your back. That's it. Take what you have and head out. Trust the Lord in everything. Trust that God is in control. He has authority. He is sending you out and he will provide. Wherever he leads, he provides. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 is a really important verse to me. It's so important that I actually have it tattooed right here. I know I have a lot of tattoos, so it, I'm tell, it is important, though. It's an important one. And I think it actually works really well here to break down what Jesus is saying to the disciples. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 is, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. He will provide. Next, Jesus tells them not to move around from place to place, to stay. Stay in the place that you're at as long as needed to accomplish the mission. Whatever household is willing to have you, stay there until you need to move on. This is another reminder of trusting God as they were sent out on mission. Reminding them that he's going to even provide their housing. I'm going to provide everything for you, but also don't be distracted by where you're going to stay. Focus on the mission. Share and take care of people. Later on in Luke 10, 7, when Jesus sends out the 72, uh, we see an even more extensive look at the reasoning to stay in a specific spot. It says in Luke 10, 7 through 9, this is when Jesus is sending out the 72. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Wherever you, eat, wherever you enter a town, they receive you. Eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Again, what does it say at the very end of this? What does it say that they're supposed to do? As they're in all these different towns, live out the mission Jesus sent them to do. Not just quickly moving around, but take time to share the kingdom of God. Take time to love on people, to heal people. And in all of this, we see a reliance on this one with full authority, a reliance on the one who has full control and the one who has authority to send out. God will provide. I think this is actually a really good reminder for all of us today. Sometimes when living on mission, which each and every one of us that profess Christ are called to do, we can want to see instant results. We, we want to see that little seed planted, sprout, and produce fruit in like 2.3 seconds. We're like, okay, shared the gospel with you. Let's go. Let's, let's get this thing going. I, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to move on. 
but it's not about our timing. Just like we saw last week, it's, it's Jesus' timing and all of it. The one who does have authority over everything. So don't rush away. Stay. Sometimes it can be hard because we want to see instant results. I know I do. It can be hard to stay with the same people year after year after year when nothing is coming out of it. And God in his kindness gave me an example of this a couple months ago, reminding me how important it is to trust in the Lord and his timing to stay on mission. Back like 10 years ago when I started in student ministry, I came across this girl who had a pretty tragic story And she was coming around to youth group every now and then. She was just coming with friends. But she didn't really care about anything that we were talking about. And I just, I I felt for her. Like, there was just something about it. I just, I wanted her to know who Jesus was, just like we want everyone to. But there was just something here that I, so I would share the gospel with her all the time. and, And it got to a point where I had my extra special Bible. I don't know if you guys have an extra special Bible that you've been writing in for years and years, and it's all tattered, and like it's, it's a part of you. And I took this Bible, and I gave it to her, and I was like, here, I want you to have this. Read these notes. I want you to know who this Jesus is. It was like a piece of me. It like ripped, ripped me apart a little bit, but I was like, no, I know God's going to do something through this. Ten years go by. And I got to spend, I got to spend a lot of time with her over the years um, we would go with groups to like skate parks and it was, it was super fun, but there just wasn't anything that was coming from it. Like two months ago, I get a text message that says, Hey, I just want you to know I found that Bible. I have given my life to Christ and it's because of what Jesus did through you. Praise God because I know him and, and it's just, I'm so excited to be able to tell you this And that, that right there was such a good reminder to me that even over the years that it seemed hopeless that God is working in mighty, massive ways and we have no idea what he's doing. Stay. Don't rush away so fast. After Jesus tells them to stay, another point as they head out on mission emerges. And you know, the question had to have been asked in that moment. It was probably by Peter, good old Peter, what do you do if a town rejects you, though? What, what if they don't want to hear about this good news? What if they don't want to hear about the kingdom and, and they're against your message, Jesus? He says, dust off your feet from them. Dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And again, we get a little more detail from Luke in 10, when 72 are sent out in verse 7. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than that town. It's time to make your exit. It's time to move on from that town. Dust off your feet. You tried your best. You tried to share of the coming kingdom and the king, but again, the beauty of Jesus' love for every person. Even those rejecting him, he still says to the disciples, nevertheless, they just rejected you. Nevertheless, tell them the kingdom of God has come near. Nevertheless. 
Jesus is saying, even if they reject you, still share the gospel message to these people. Let them know of the coming judgment, and in that, let them know the way to be rescued in the coming judgment through the good news of the king and the kingdom that has come. Another great reminder for us that even when people reject us, when they reject Jesus and the message we're trying to share, even when the world shuns us, we're still to love them and share the truth with them. We want them to understand who Jesus is so they can be rescued. The mission that they, the disciples, and we are sent out on is one of love and caring. Desiring for people to know the truth. And in these short couple verses in Luke, we see a massive account unfolding before our eyes. These 12 disciples being sent out on mission, trusting, staying, and exiting when necessary as they go out. To share the good news of the kingdom of God. So the disciples up to this point have been following Jesus. This has been their their training. They haven't really been doing much. They've been observing him. They've been watching. They've been learning. This was, again, their OJT, just like I learned in the oil field. They're learning from Jesus, though. But now training's over. Now it's time for the job. Now it's time for the mission. They get to be a part of spreading the word and taking care of others as Jesus has been. The difference in this job versus other jobs is that the disciples are not being sent out with any supplies, though. They're not going with food or clothes or anything else except the power that they're given by Jesus' power and authority. They're being sent out trusting the one who's sending them, knowing he's going to provide everything that they need. The one that sent them is the one with authority over it all. At that point in time in history, these these disciples didn't have the full picture. They didn't really know exactly what the outcome was going to be of what Jesus came to do. They didn't really know the depths of the truth, the full extent of the kingdom message that they were proclaiming, that this Jesus they had been following and learning from was the one truth. This Jesus they were about to go in the world for would make the ultimate sacrifice. As I said, the disciples at the time had no clue the extent of it, but we do. As we think about the mission, as we think about what we're called to do, are we actually living out the calling to go? Are we living out the calling that the 12 receive, that the 72 receive, and that we're called to do as well? Knowing that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit with us, giving us the ability to live out this mission of sharing and caring, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Are we trusting the one who has full authority over nature, over demons, over sickness, over death, and everything in between? Are we sharing this good news with those around us? Loving as Jesus did, taking care of people as he did, pointing to the truth of Jesus, looking and acting like Jesus. Which brings us to the question, as we continue on these verses, before we're able to go out into this world like the disciples, 
Before we can share this good news about the kingdom, we must first know who it is we are doing this mission for. We can be trained up, have the OJT, know the mission, but if we don't know who we're doing it for, we can easily fall away from doing the mission as a whole. Who is this man sending out? Who is this man claiming authority? This was a question asked by so many. It's a question that we're going to fully answer here in a little bit. Like I said at the beginning, instead of going directly into the next section, seven through nine, answering this question, we're going to move into our second point, which is the meal in verse 10. So this account of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is really well known. It is actually the one miracle aside from Jesus' resurrection recorded in all four gospels. So in my mind, meaning it's a pretty important account being relayed here by Luke. One of the interesting things about the account here is us knowing the context of where Luke places it in his book, which is right after Jesus sends out the disciples. So Jesus sends out the disciples, then Luke fast forwards to their return. These men who've been trained up to go on mission went out sharing the gospel, healing, casting out demons, doing exactly what he asked them to do. Verse 10, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. So these guys had to have been so excited coming back. They can't wait to tell Jesus everything that just happened. For those of you that have kids or younger siblings, you know how it is when they go out and do something cool. You're about to get every single detail of what just happened in like the most frantic, pumped up kind of way possible. My son Malachi can do this really fast. I'm Malachi. He'll come in doing something so cool. He's like, blah, 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 Whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. I need to take you to a dark, quiet room, sit you down and, and let you tell me slowly, because I know this is exciting, but whew, take a deep breath. It's, it's okay, I promise. Oh, really, buddy, really. So I think this, in my mind, is what happened. So the disciples returned from their first mission. They did it all by themselves. And the amount of exciting stories as they went on mission, healing, casting out demons, so much excitement. So much excitement that Jesus takes them to a different town, (laughs) removing them from the giant crowds. But as we saw last week, nothing stops the mob crowd from finding Jesus. And that's exactly what they did. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now, in typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't tell the crowd to get lost. He doesn't need extra special time with his boys. No, he welcomes them and does something so great here. Practicing what he preaches, he does exactly what he sent the disciples out to do. He shares about the kingdom of God. He shares the gospel in the midst of sharing his healing. He is sharing and caring to the max. But as time went on, it started to get towards night. Jesus is just out there having a great time, healing people, talking to them. It starts to get late. Verse 12, now the day began to wear away. And the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away. Go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in in a desolate place. 
But he said to them, you give them something to eat. He said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. So the day is flying by as Jesus is living out this mission. When the disciples come to him already, even after just experiencing everything that they did, being told, don't worry about anything, don't worry about food, don't worry about provisions. After all this, they say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, better send them away. We don't have anything out here. We're in a desolate place. So I feel like it was trying to restart their brains to the truth of who he is. The one with all authority over everything, he says, give them something to eat. With the disciples still not getting it. Their response is, again, we're in the middle of nowhere. All we have is two little fish. We have these five loaves of bread. And on top of that, there's 5,000 men, which also, FYI, was only a count of the men. There was likely around 20,000 people there. 20,000. So this man, Jesus, again in his kindness, does not scold the disciples for their lack of remembering, for their narrow-mindedness, but instead he gives them directions in the end of verse 14. He said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Jesus reminds them of who he is in this moment. He gives them simple instructions. People get into groups of 50, prays for the food, and all of a sudden, 20,000 people are fed with only 12 baskets left over. Is this a coincidence? I think not. There's 12 close disciples that were just sent out. 20,000 people fed and 12 baskets remaining. you got to think that this would have been a massive reminder of who this man was providing for the 12 as he promised that he would, each of them getting a basket of food for the journeys ahead. From the mission, they came to a meal where Jesus is on display. Even after all their on-the-job training, seeing their mentor in action, they forgot who he was. They forgot what he could do. And his mercy reminds them by feeding the people. Even showing his authority over how much was left over. As I said at the beginning, it's important to not only know what the mission is, but why the mission needs to be accomplished. And in this case, who the mission is being accomplished for. Again, asking the question, who is this man? Who is this man healing, sending out, showing authority? Now let's go backwards a bit. Verse 7. Taking us to our last point, which is the monarch, or in other words, the king. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. From the 12 being sent out on mission and Jesus reminding who he is with a meal, the scene resets and we see a familiar character emerge. This is Herod Antipas of Galilee or Herod the Tetrarch. The same man that previously killed John the Baptist. So since killing John, Herod's been hearing rumors about this Jesus guy. 
doing all these miraculous things. Who is this man? I think it's interesting that it says Herod had heard all that was happening. What have we said from the very beginning? Is that the mission is to share about the kingdom of God, to share the gospel message, to heal, cast out demons, share and care. So we know for a fact that Herod has heard what Jesus and now the disciples are hearing, are, are saying and doing. Jesus is saying and showing that he is the one, the one with authority. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But that's not what the people are saying. That's not what Herod is thinking. Some were saying this man is John. Herod knows that's not true. He cut his head off. That's not him. Some think it's Elijah, which would make sense since that's referencing the Old Testament, but that's not who it is. Some say he's an old prophet raised from the dead, but the problem with all of, the, all of these is that they're trying to figure out who he is, not listening to who he is saying he is. Trying to find a workaround to the truth. The truth that he is the one. He's the one who John, Elijah, and the prophets of old were pointing to. They were pointing to the monarch, to the king to come. Taking us to the second section of this point, who do his followers say he is? Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. So in this scene, we see Jesus praying. In the middle of it, he turns to his disciples asking the question that Herod was trying to have answered a moment ago, trying to figure out who this man is. Who do the crowds or the people or the world say that I am? These people that are hearing the good news, that are being healed, that are hearing every word Jesus has said because they're in the giant mob of a crowd, following him anywhere he goes. Who do they say I am? And the answer is the same as what Herod was told. John, Elijah, maybe a prophet of old, risen from the dead. With the next question to all the 12. This wasn't just to Peter. This was to all the 12. The ones who actually follow him. The ones who truly know him and have truly heard what he has to say. Who do you, the 12, say I am? With the answer to the question being asked. Bringing to play the reason that we are sent out. The reason we want to be trained up and, and to go on mission. Peter says, you are the Christ of God. This is a game changer. He's literally saying, you are the king we are talking about. You're the reason we're trained up and we're going on mission. It's your kingdom. You're the one that's come to save. This is the first time the disciples have professed that he is the Messiah. The one foretold in the Old Testament. The one comes to save. This is the promised king who established his kingdom. And the gospel is the good news of this man. This king is the center of the mission. They're sent out so people can know this king. They're sent out so people can understand the heart of this king, that he loves his people, he wants to heal them and take care of them. These men 
We're trained up to go out on mission for this king. Healing and loving like the king loves. So let me ask you this, church. What is the mission in your life? What have you been trained up to do and why? From everything that we've read today, it's clear that our mission at this place, at this time, if we've put our faith and trust in this man, in this king, is to go out. Share the good news of what Jesus did. Serving people, loving people by helping, taking care of people, living out the king's example, and truly sharing this truth. And to do this, we need to know who he is. He's not some prophet returned. He's not some good teacher or wise man or some other guy. We have to know the truth that he is God. He is the one with all authority. The one who reigns, the one who came to this place, who lived the perfect life and died the perfect death so that we could be back in a right relationship with our creator. When we truly see who he is, we desire to go out. We desire to be trained up through his words, to be equipped and step out. Knowing that he will provide, knowing he is in control, knowing he is all we need. Now, just like the disciples at the meal, it can be easy to lose sight of who this king is. We can lose sight of Jesus, who has authority over it all. And in loving, gentle ways, he reminds us, as he did with the fish and the loaves, who he is, so we can get back on track on mission for the king. I pray that this is a reminder to you today, again, of who he is. I pray this is a reminder of who you see him as. And a reminder that even though trained up and ready to serve, we still might need to be reminded of the truth of who he is and what he's done for us. A reminder of the mission to share and to care. This is not just a call for us, but to remind others around us to be on mission for the king. Reminding each other of who he truly is. The one true savior. From this we see the true mission, the reason that we do what we do. Are we living out what we've been called to do? For the one who called us to do it. For the one who has authority over everything. Let's pray. God, um, again, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this passage and just the reminder, um, God, to, to live out the mission that you've set before us to love people, to care for people, and in that, sharing your good news with people. God, I pray you would help us, each of us, live that out today. Love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.